Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag NFL. My best definition is what I call a 2020 quarterback. Andy Dalton will move the ball from 120 to the next, and when it gets down into the red zone, it gets a little complex. It gets a little mistake-driven. Michael Lombardi calling Andy Dalton a 2020 quarterback. Struggles in the red zone. Well, now he's a Dallas Cowboy. He's got a one-year deal released by the Bengals. Base salary of $3 million, could make as much as $7 million. Dalton lives in Dallas in the offseason. Of course, he went to TCU, so he's got roots in the area. Actually saw a stat that his regular season record is a lot like Ben Roethlisberger's. What's different is his playoff record, PK. One and done. How much leverage does this give Jerry Jones? Hey. <laughs> None. Dak Prescott still has leverage. Oh, yeah, I don't think that's anything to do with Dak Prescott. That didn't even enter my mind until you just said it. Prescott will still be the starter. Dalton's the insurance policy and the backup, I would think. Uh, Chicago Bears declined to exercise their fifth-year option on quarterback Mitchell Trubisky. Bears drafted him second overall in the 2017 draft. A guy named Patrick Mahomes was still on the board. Trubisky will be competing with Nick Foles for the starting job in Chicago. You remember Nick. Won a Super Bowl in Philadelphia. Went to Jacksonville and now to Chicago. I expect Foles will win that job, and I expect the Bears think so, too. They don't pick up the option. They own $4.4 million this year, and then, who knows, free agency awaits. I don't know who's going to win. I mean, Foles has really done nothing outside of one glorious run that he had in a short period of time. He's proven nothing over a 16-game schedule, so I don't expect anything. I don't know what's going to happen. Bears are coming off an 8-8 eight and eight season. They missed the playoffs. The league's going to release its 2020 schedule later this week without any major changes, league spokesman Brian McCarthy confirmed. They're looking at a September 10 opener, the Super Bowl on February 7, and visions of fans in the stands. McCarthy says we plan to start on time. That's all best-case scenario stuff, but we know at this point everybody's got multiple plans, so why wouldn't the NFL tip? Well, until I hear otherwise, I'm expecting it also. I'm going to think positively on this whole thing. Auburn coach Gus Malzahn expressed confidence in his former quarterback, Jared Stidham, as the starter for New England. It definitely helped him to learn under the best and see what that looks like. But he's the kind of young man, too, that this is what he's been waiting on. I'll tell you, the moment won't won't be too big for him. He'll be up to the challenge. That's what I expect, Malzahn told ESPN. So is Belichick going to find a way to squeeze out a 500 season, maybe even a playoff season with Stidham? Or they have a terrible year. It sets him up for the 2021 draft. If this year doesn't go off as planned, if there's some kind of compressed season, an asterisk, is, is Belichick just writing off all the dead money on the cap and figuring this year's all messed up anyway? Is he playing chess while we're all playing checkers? Let's go to Clicheville and check on Bill Belichick. Yeah, I don't know that the 2021 draft is going to solve all your issues if you're that bad. Are you assuming that they're going to get Trevor Lawrence? They're going to have the number one pick? They're that bad? I don't see that. I wouldn't think they'd be that bad just because he pulled off 11-5 and 
when Tom Brady got hurt in the first quarter of the baby. season opener a decade ago, and Matt Castle stepped in, and he got Matt Castle a big contract, but Matt, Matt Castle, Castle stuck around the NFL for over a decade yeah. that season. Right, but where were all the 11-5 and five seasons for Matt Castle after that? Well, I just hope that Matt Castle returns because then it would be Matt Castle back. I like it. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. Dr. Brian Hainline, the NCAA's chief medical officer. Do you know the NCAA had a chief medical officer, PK? No, but I'm about to hear something about a virus, aren't I? <laughs> He's cautiously optimistic that college sports could be played during the fall semester. Says it's not going to be risk-free, that's for sure. This is rolled out in stages and reasonably. We're paying, we're really paying attention to proper surveillance and we get the tests available. I think we can have fall sports. My concern is that we just rush into this too quickly because of this almost sense of desperation we just have to get going. Well, this is a shocker, but I'm going to remain optimistic. <laughs> Former Big 12 rivals, Kansas and Missouri. Good news, bad news. They're going to resume their football rivalry. Four games. Although not until 2025, and the back end of the series is off in the 2030s. 2031 and 2032. Uh, come on, guys. Just play every year. It's a big deal. You meet in Kansas City. Your alums are all together. It's, uh, it's BYU and Utah. Just the way their alums overlap there. Border state, so it's a little different, but it's not all that different. Longtime rival series ended when Missouri moved to the SEC. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. You really kind of found out the relationship that they had, which, again, I know that they were compared a lot, but I, I don't think we understood the extent of their friendship or connection until, you know, he passed. Aras Marchese there on Kobe and MJ's relationship. There's uh, multiple stories out on that. B.J. Armstrong has a story about going to dinner with MJ because MJ was out in L.A. and Armstrong was out there. And he said, get a reservation for three. Armstrong's like, oh, who's coming? Kobe. And he sat there and watched him dissect all night who would have won a one-on-one game. And they picked out the flaws in each other's games and all that stuff. The big dogs hang together, P.K., well, unless they're a threat, and they don't, if they uh, have something that you want, then, you know, you have the Isaiah Thomas there, or, and Ewing said he hated Jordan at the time, but uh, Kobe didn't correspond or uh, overlap uh, directly. There was some, a little bit of overlap, but Kobe wasn't in the position to win, too. So, I mean, let's, let's put that out there, too. NBA Board of Governors Friday voted to postpone two May events set for Chicago. The draft lottery and the draft combine league hasn't voted yet to delay the NBA draft on June 25th, but there's an increasing belief it's just a matter of time. Wouldn't expect the draft would happen until after they had the playoffs, and of course they're trying to get those going for July and August, so just put the draft on pause, I guess. Yeah, I don't know why the draft would have to be until after the postseason. There's no really rule the way that is. I realize it's in the NFL, but it's not in the MLB. And you can have these draft camps. They used to have three or four of them. Uh, and Kwame Brown still got drafted number one. So uh, you can have as many evaluation periods as you want, but it doesn't mean you're going to get the draft right. And so if you have less, it doesn't mean you're going to get it wrong. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. 
June, maybe you begin the spring training for three weeks, and then by late June, early July, at the earliest is when you start to see your games again. I think that by then, that's two months from now for regular season. I, I, I do have a certain confidence, just surveying the scene here, that there will be an opening to play somewhere in some format with, obviously, the appropriate health care ramifications put in place there and protections there as well. That's Fox Sports' John Paul Morosi talking about the second version of spring training for the major leagues and how it can start in June. Are you going to remain optimistic, PK? Well, I don't know who John Morosi is, but let's put him off. Now we don't need to use his voice anymore. We've got him commenting on the situation. Angel star Albert Pujols disputed. The next year would be his final season in a Major League Baseball uniform. He turned 40 in January. 2021 is the last year of his 10-year contract with the Angels. But he told ESPN he's not thinking about retirement yet. I don't think about it that way. It's my last year under contract, but that doesn't mean I can't keep playing. I haven't closed that door. I'm taking it day by day, year by year. But you haven't heard from my mouth that I'm going to retire next year. Well, you think he's a steroid user, and two, yeah, he doesn't need to retire. He could join Manny Ramirez in the Cuban League or the Polish League, whichever league that uh, Ramirez last week said he was going to come back in. Taiwan. Which league? Taiwan League, the Taiwanese League. So, but uh, he may not say it, but the Angels are counting the days because he, he doesn't realize it, but he's been retired now from big-time production for a few years. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. Receive a free reverse osmosis system with the purchase of any water softener at Shamrock Plumbing. 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up this morning, John Passaw, author of Yogi, A Life Behind the Mask. He's going to join us at 8 o'clock. At 9 o'clock, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. He's been rolling out the MJ stories in Fresno. Where's the bottom of that well? Has Steve got more? Talk with him coming up at 9 o'clock. All right, DJ and PK coming up next. Michael Wilbon says Isaiah should have been on the dream team, not John Stockton. How dare he, PK? How Shocking. dare he? We'll get to that coming up. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Let's go. The Big Show. It's a big deal. With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Howard Beck from Bleacher Report. Let's say it's abbreviated. Well, we kind of say, well, such and such a team won a championship here, but. We're always going to look at it differently just because it's going to have looked and felt differently. When we see the team won a championship not needing 16 wins, but won it with 12 or 14 or whatever it ends up being, that part will stand out. Because even in those lockout seasons, they still had full best of seven finals, best of seven earlier rounds, except for back in 99 when it was still a best of five first round. But somebody may try to asterisk it. People may talk about, well, that one was different, but as history marches on, they all just kind of become just regular old championships. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. In my house, Tony, where a 12-year-old point guard loves to watch, you know, his video, his iPad, which I think is what you're on right now, it's always Dad. Allen Iverson was so great. Dad, Kyrie Irving, so great. These must have been the greatest small guards ever, right? And wrong answer, Matthew. Isaiah Thomas is the, even greater than John Stockton. He won twice, Isaiah did. I'm sorry, it's Isaiah. 
Driver Hot Takes or Toast, brought to you by Master Electrical Services. Master Electrical is always open during this challenging time. Call Master Electrical at 801-543-2222 for upfront pricing and your satisfaction guaranteed. Master Electrical Services will light up your day. Well, there's Michael Wilbon on PTI reviving an ancient debate. Should Isaiah have been there in place of John Stockton? If you were watching the last dance last night, you saw that there was no chance Isaiah Thomas was going to be there. If he was going to be there, he was going to take MJ's place because MJ wasn't going to be there, and they really, really wanted Michael Jordan there. So that was an epic conversation with uh, Rod Thorne calling and asking me on the team, well, who's going to be on the team? They literally didn't have to say Isaiah's name. The hate ran so deep, and everyone was so aware of it. Literally, his name didn't come up, and that's Jordan's plausible deniability right there, PK. Well, I don't think that's the question, though. The question is, uh, should uh, Stockton have been on over Isaiah? That is the question, and the reaction is pouring in. Stockton was the last man selected, besides Leitner, and simply happy to be there. Isaiah was a better player, but he just would have caused more friction. Friction. What friction would have been caused when you're beating everybody by 50? (laughs) Jordan hating him every time he laid eyes on him. The camaraderie would have been gone. Who needs camaraderie when you're winning by 50? Yeah, winning creates camaraderie. As a two-time champ who was still active... Uh, it's easy to make an Isaiah. It's easy to make a case for Isaiah and say somehow there should have been room for him. It's not like there were twelve other two-time champs rolling around. So it's easy to make the case that he should have been on the team. But man, after watching that, there's no way he'd be on there. David Olson uh, puts on our Facebook page. I remember way back when the longest argument I ever saw on an internet news group. It was Stockton versus Isaiah, and it went on for a year and a half. <laughs> that sounds about right. Well, Jordan himself listed the two best point guards, and he went with Magic and Isaiah. I was surprised he blew off Oscar Robertson like that. I didn't see him. Not, not really. If you don't see somebody, what do you know? You read about him, you hear about him, you talk about him, you probably met him. Okay, if you haven't seen him, what have you seen? <laughs> so the man's acknowledgement puts him at number two. In terms of winning... Isaiah won more than Stockton. I mean, I don't think you can argue that. NCAA title and two NBA titles. Yeah. And he won them in uh, 89 and 90. So when the Dream Team hits in 92, he's right in his prime. The guy who wasn't in his prime anymore was Larry Bird. He had major back issues and had missed games and was really struggling. But he was Larry Bird. It was a Dream Team. As you say, they were going to beat everybody by 50. And they wanted Magic and Bird and Jordan and the triumvirate. If you're going to go on Bird, I mean, at least he was in the game. Magic was not even an active yeah, player. you're right. He wasn't. He was all done. The first time. Right. So I don't know that that mattered, whether you were in your prime or whether you weren't, because they took two players who clearly weren't, one who wasn't even an active player at the time. Well, there were politics all over that team. You got Isaiah out because of uh, politics. You've got uh, Christian Leitner in because the politics of the NBA, they want to reserve one spot for a college guy. Well, they got over that four years later. And then even then, should it have been Shaq instead of Leitner? You know, Shaq was a better player, but Leitner had played for USA 
in the uh, had played for the USA in a previous tournament or two or something. The Shaq had blown off, so they picked Leitner over that. It's, when you pick teams, there's uh, agendas and politics all over the place. Yeah, I see no reason for any college player to be on there. I don't care who it was. That's where I think uh, Isaiah could have been on that roster. That, that was the answer to me. I wouldn't have necessarily worried about taking him overstocked. And, there, and there's no doubt at that point, I mean, I'm sure if you go down on our Facebook, there's going to be, and leave the all-time assist leader and all-time steals leader. Well, he wasn't the all-time assist leader. He wasn't the all-time steals leader at the time. Maybe he was, but uh, he hadn't finished it uh, because it was before 92 is when they played. So they picked the team ahead of time. So he wasn't that at the time. But I still have no problem with him being on the team. Isaiah Thomas got screwed. And it still bothers him to this day, as it should. He deserved to be on that team. I don't care if somebody didn't like him. Who anointed Jordan God? Jordan <laughs> wasn't all that at that time anyway. If you watched last night, you know who anointed Jordan as God. Himself. Yeah. Um, so Jordan had won what? How many titles at that point? At that point, he would have won two. All right. That's nice. But it's not like it was overwhelming. We did not know he was going to win four more. Can't say. At least I didn't. Maybe somebody else did, but I didn't. So why did he get to decide? Because he was really popular, and they really wanted him there. And they were afraid if they had Isaiah, he wouldn't have played on the Dream Team. Okay, so? (laughs) Well, that's why. (laughs) Would it have been any less popular? Yeah, I think it would have been. I mean, I think Jordan Jordan makes everything more popular. No, I think you're looking back at the time... No, no. I think it would. It was the first time, and it was fresh, and you still had massive amount of big names, all sorts of first ballot Hall of Famers. It would have Jordan would have missed out, and it would have gone on. Everything life rolls on, man. There is nobody who's irreplaceable. It would have rolled on big time without him, and we'd be talking about it to this day without him. Dane says, who cares what Michael Wilbon said? Stockton was by far the better player. That's which, not true. To which Devin responds, by far, question mark, question mark, GTFO. <laughs> Isaiah led his team to two rings. Well, three, and, really. And didn't have one of the best players of all time on his team. And there you go. Uh, did he have a better team? than Stockton had during the time. He didn't have a better individual player. Nobody on the Pistons was better than Letter Carrier. There's no way I'm going to go that way. Just, and they were nice players, but they weren't better than him. There's just no way would I acknowledge that. Did they have a better team? Well, you can make a strong argument that they had the better team, I guess, if you want to. If you want to say the Jazz had the better team and they just had to go against a tougher team in the Lakers and then the Bulls. Uh, okay, the Bulls, as we knew them, you would argue that the Pistons did not beat them. They got swept by them. You know, the Bulls needed time to get going themselves. Every team does. Uh, that's, that's the greatness of Magic and, and Bird is they won immediately, basically, in the case of Magic, literally, and put up as a 20-year-old rookie the greatest individual game ever played in the postseason uh, in game, what was it, game six against Philadelphia? Yep. Uh, so and then those two, in my mind, were extremely special, and in everyone else's mind too. But but I can I would have to listen to arguments 
were the Pistons better than the Jazz? The Jazz, the best that the Pistons had to offer versus the best that the Jazz had to offer. The one thing I can say, and I'd be open to arguments, and I'd want to hear those arguments before making that case, but the one thing I would say resoundingly is nobody, nobody on the Pistons was better than Malone. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, you know, Malone's a two-time MVP. You know, I, Isaiah was the guy on the Pistons team. Joe Dumars was a nice player, and Bill Lambert was another really good player. And they had really good depth, and they had a really good bench. So they had a really good team, but they didn't have a star of Malone's quality. It's, it's... Yeah, unless you unless you count Isaiah. I mean, but the, Isaiah didn't have a teammate that was a star like Malone. Malone would have gone right into that lineup and played massive minutes. Yeah. Yeah, and the the, the problem that I have with the argument with the with uh, the Jazz not being able to get past the Lakers. I mean, I don't have any argument with that. In my mind, they were the greatest team, but that's because I'm 100% biased. I have no problem admitting that. Uh, And then you can argue, well, they couldn't get by the Bulls when Jordan was ready to go. Nobody got by the Bulls when Jordan was ready to go. That's a fact. It's just that the year he was out and the year he came back and played the half season, man, if they could have gotten one or two then, like Olajuwon did, then, boy, that settles just about everything. And at that point, to me, Stockton, I would take Stockton over Isaiah. But they didn't get it done. Devin says, John wouldn't even been on the team if MJ didn't blackball Isaiah. Oh, I have no problem with his inclusion on the team. Absolutely not. He was a premier player. Go back and look. I disagree with that, too. Go back and look what he was doing in 1988. Uh, Go back and look at his numbers. Go back and watch some of those games. Are you kidding me? He was running the position as well as it's ever been run. His statistics were off the charts. I disagree with that 100%. He had a 20-20 game in the playoffs against the Lakers. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was. I'd have to go back and look. I want to say it was twenty-seven points and twenty-three assists. But I, I thought that's funny because I thought it was twenty-eight and twenty-four. <laughs> oh, really? We'd have to look it up. But it was. It was a massive game in a seven-game series when the Lakers were the defending champs, trying to go back to back. Yeah. I mean, it literally took everything the Lakers had to squeeze past him. See, I think you're remembering remembering John in the middle to late nineties. No, that wasn't when he was at his best, and. That's not when he needed to be at his best at that point because the original Dream Team was several years old at that point. No, go back leading up to 92, not after 92. Leading up to 92, he was absolutely brilliant. I can remember being in Los Angeles and being a part of that coverage and just thinking, this guy's unbelievable. Look at him go, man. I'm not sure I had ever seen a player of that caliber, of that size, and I know I'm going into the bowler jack pound for pound. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) At that point, the way he controlled the game and the way he played, he was brilliant. There's, There's no other way around it. And Isaiah hadn't won his titles yet, right? In 88, he had. That was actually the year that the Lakers beat the Pistons in seven. The Pistons went three straight years. That was the first one. They won the next two after that. Right. So he he won them before 92, but after 88. And 88, John Stockton was as good as there ever was. There's just no doubt about it. I feel 
so strong. And I and I completely had no connection whatsoever. Zero. None. Never thought in my wildest dreams in 1988 that I would be living in the state of Utah. It hadn't even entered my mind at that point that that would be a possibility. So I had zero bias. In fact, my bias would have been towards magic. So... Stockton had to overcome my bias towards Magic, but I believe in 1988, he played the position literally as well as anybody that I had ever seen, recognizing that I did not see West, I did not see Robertson, uh, whoever else you want to put in that list at that point, Tiny Archibald maybe, whoever you think this should be in the discussion. Uh, But I saw him, and I saw him up close, and I was amazed at his brilliance. So at that point, now he had all the credentials he needed to be, needed to have to be on that team. I just tweeted it out. Stockton Stars versus Lakers, nineteen eighty eight playoffs. This says uh, twenty three points, twenty four assists. Oh, what do any of us remember? The point is, it was a twenty twenty game. He also had five steals in that, and uh, it's like a nine minute clip on YouTube. So, you know, since you don't have any games to watch, you can go to my Twitter feed whenever you got downtime today or tonight or whatever. And there's ten minutes of John Stockton just uh, flying up and down the court. That was, that was also a road game. He did that in the forum against the Lakers. Yes, he did. So check that out if you're uh, wondering uh, how good Stockton was early in his career as he just blows by everybody into the paint whenever he decides he needs to. It's up there on Twitter at David DJ James. All right, more, uh, more stuff coming in. Travis, it's Wilbon. What do you expect? I guess Travis has a grudge against Michael Wilbon. Well, then he should have it against Jordan, too, because Jordan said that uh, Magic and Isaiah were... The two best that he'd seen. Brian says Isaiah has always hated the Jazz, so him thinking Stock should have stayed home doesn't surprise me. Isaiah's always hated the Jazz? Because Malone dropped him, I guess. Those two times a year they played, they just couldn't stand each other? <laughs> that's that's pretty much it. <laughs> not these guys again. <laughs> that's... The Jazz were not in the way once of anything that the Pistons wanted. And that's your theory of uh, creating a rivalry if somebody takes something from you. Yes. The Jazz took nothing from the Pistons. The Celtics knocked the Pistons out of the playoffs a couple times, so they had a thing going on. Yeah. And the Lakers in the finals. And then obviously the Bulls as the Pistons tried to hold on before it was Chicago's time. So. Oh, and that's really. That's what you said, the whole Ewing and Jordan thing. Well, they met. I, I looked it up last night. Um, during one of the commercial breaks in the last dance, like, how often did the Knicks and Bulls play? Sure enough, three years in a row. First in the in the first round, and it was a sweep, and then a seven-gamer in the second round, and a six-gamer in the third round. Well, no wonder, <laughs> no wonder they ended up getting on each other's nerves. And then they played again when Jordan was gone, and the Knicks beat the Bulls, and there was a controversial call. So, yeah, if you're meeting somebody in the playoffs every year, you're taking something away. Somebody's sending somebody home, and somebody's going on to the finals. Yeah, I think that's what we've lacked here recently uh, in the league. And uh, growing up, when I was coming of age in the NBA, you had Philadelphia and Boston. Mm-hmm. You know, they were going at it, and that was entertaining. And, and so you had to get past each other. 
then we've just referenced the other rivalries of the Celtics and the Pistons trying to get past them and then the Bulls trying to get past the Pistons. And it was almost like it seemed like it was an annual affair. And then if Boston managed to get past Philly and Detroit, the Lakers were there on the other side. I don't know that we've really had any postseason rivalries that are just that have been building for two or three years of late. Uh, the what? best you can come up with is what the the Rockets and the the Warriors maybe. That would be okay, and then the Cavs and the Warriors playing four times in the finals while LeBron was there. Uh, but it's not the same as when they're in the same conference and they play more often in the right. regular season. Right. Uh, it was really unique to have that. You know, actually, is unprecedented. I think they have the same teams four years in a row because the Celtics and Lakers was. I think four out of five and six out of eight, but not four in a row. But that that has been lacking. There hasn't been – that was the problem with the Durant signing is it wasn't like there was somebody who was getting close and about to pass. They were just way out in front of everybody. And, and there was no passing of the torch. Right, and LeBron was just crushing everybody in the East every year. You just penciled in LeBron's team, whether it was Miami or Cleveland. He's going eight straight times. So it's it's been a different deal this last decade. In the previous decade, you could see more of that. You know, there's back and forth between the Lakers and Spurs with Shaq and Duncan. And I think that really helps the fan appeal. Is this team finally ready? Did they add a piece? Maybe. Did the guys on the team grow up a little more? Yeah. Yeah, you have maturity uh, from growing from within. And, the, and then you have the other team getting old because that factored in, too. You had Boston obviously got old, and then you had the Pistons get old. Well, that happens. As you listen to Lambeer, and you know, since this last dance spiel has been out there, they've been showing that, and Lambeer's been talking about it, and he was on some show, and you know, they asked him about apologizing, walking off. No, they were whiners. But he acknowledged that his team had come to the end of its run, and the Bulls were about ready to start their run. And those things happen. And so it was clear that for him, he accepted that fact. You know, it wasn't like they were in their two teams in their primes going at it. No, that wasn't the case. It took the one team getting a little bit better and the other team getting a little bit older. And when those things happen, the uh, younger team is probably going to emerge, as we saw in multiple examples. And that's fun to follow that and follow the development of a particular franchise as it grows up, so to speak, and then becomes ready to win at the highest level. We have missed that. There have been other examples. I think actually that was the uh, when the NBA hit a lull after Jordan retired the second of the three times he retired. You know, there was no passing of the torch. You know, the king just walked away. He abdicated the throne. And it's what you were saying a, a segment earlier, you know, that, that Kobe and MJ could be great because Kobe could call MJ his big brother and they never, they never met in the finals. You know, by the time... Kobe and the Lakers, Kobe, Shaq, Phil arrives, and they're ready to win and all that. Well, MJ's long gone. I mean, that's, you know, it's two years later. So, great. But it's not the same as squaring off with somebody three times, three years in a row in the playoffs, which is what the Celtics and Sixers did when you were talking about, you know, the passing of the torch there. And, you know, one time the Sixers won and one time the Rockets won and the Sixers won and went back and forth. Or whether it's a generational passing of the torch um, the way it was with the Bulls and the Pistons. 
But there were all through the '90s, we kept seeing it happen. You know, the the Knicks couldn't get past the Bulls until Jordan was gone, and the Reggie Miller and the Pacers and Ewing's Knicks had a great back and forth. ESPN actually did a thirty for thirty on it, and so they had a bunch of good playoff series and drama and Spike Lee up screaming at people. So you had the the sizzle and you had the steak. You know, both these teams. Neither one of them ever got the title, although they both got to an NBA Finals. Uh, but they played a bunch of dramatic games along the way, whereas now we've had Cleveland and Golden State lapping the field. Now, maybe with Durant gone and with LeBron in L.A., we're, we're all set up for something. Really not this year whenever it finishes, but when the Warriors get back together, if they're healthy and if they get back to that level, and if LeBron and the Lakers can still stay there, maybe we've got a year or two of those guys going at it, Warriors and Lakers. I hope not, but uh, that's just me. Uh, that's why I don't, I don't think that this Isaiah Jordan feud is real. It, it is just a product of the times. Because you just reverse Kobe and Isaiah. And, and what is Jordan? Was, you know, Kobe's obviously dead yeah. now, unfortunately. Yeah. But jo- Jordan's like 17, 18 years older than Bryant was. Well, so they didn't interact. And they were in opposite conferences. You take Isaiah, you put him coming into the Laker organization in the late 90s as a teen. And he calls up MJ and he says, hey, help me be better. Every single human being, especially every single male, I can't speak for females, every single male wants to mentor. Every single, anybody who comes to you from a prior, from a generation that is not yours and is younger, and it comes to you and says, what do you think about it? They're asking you for your counsel. You feel like the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> you want to give that person. You talked about the other day about how you've seen me and any young journalist comes up to me or in a radio, you know, has a broader definition. It's more along the entertainment lines. Journalism at its purest form isn't about entertainment, which is unfortunate the way it is uh, morphed today. It's so much about it being entertainment. But the true, in my mind, the true hardcore print journalist is not about entertainment. It is about delivering news. And that person comes to you and asks you about stuff. And I've had it. I've had it several times. Your chest pumps out. You start to feel great about yourself. You want to give back. Everybody wants to give back. And so if Isaiah was Kobe, Isaiah wouldn't be viewed as the devil as he is today. So that's why this relationship, it's a product of what one guy wanted and the other guy had and vice versa. And they roughed him up. And the way to beat the Bulls, Jordan was so good, put him on his butt, that type of thing. And so that's why this feud exists. Come on, stop it. It's not even real. It's, it's a product of the environment in which they were in. It's not, and I really believe you take these two and put, just reverse it. And, yeah, so they show the thing there. And with Kobe Bryant being unfortunately dead and all that tragedy that happened a few months back, that's become big news this morning when I was looking at the Internet as we were getting ready before we doing the show when I wake up early to see what's going on. Get the reaction of that. Well, A, he's died, so that just adds the sentimental, and it's an ultimate tragedy, certainly. And then B, well, he sought him out for advice. So is Jordan going to say, get away from me, son? And if Isaiah had been 17 years younger and had been in another conference and sought out Jordan for advice, Jordan would have given it to him and they wouldn't have any problem. You know, I think it's a couple things. One, you could already see the root of what could have been conflict if it had been 
another era and they're not in separate conferences and they're not so separated in age. But when Jordan's trash talking in the locker room, it's like, it's easy to see how that could have, you know, that was just a little spark. How could that have turned into the roaring brush fire that is his uh, <laughs> his relationship with Isaiah? But I would say um, <clears throat> Isaiah freezing him out in the All-Star game and then the fact that the Pistons played the way they did, that they didn't think they could meet you talent for talent, so they had to just beat the snot out of you. They had to just beat you up. There had to be a certain frustration here in that he's just a scorer, he can't win a championship, and he's thinking, I'm better than these guys, but the refs just let this turn this into, a, into like some kind of you know, pro wrestling free-for-all. Like they're, not, they're not playing basketball, they're just tackling me. It was the league. I mean, it was. It was the league. It was the era. It was the, but it goes back to your point that it's the style, it's the times that created this. It's not the guys. Isaiah isn't the one who decided, hey, let's, we, don't, we can't get a Carl Malone to go with Isaiah, so let's get four big guys, one of whom is highly skilled, and the other three of whom will just uh, you know, basically foul people hard while they're in the air. Yeah, I think Rodman was highly skilled. Not at that point in his career. He figured no, it out no, over that time as a, as a big-time rebounder. He couldn't shoot a lick. All right, DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Coming up, John Passaw, author of Yogi, A Life Behind the Mask, about the legendary Yankee catcher Yogi Berra. He's here at 8 o'clock. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider at 9. What'd you watch? We will get to that next on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, this was shocking, but last night we all watched two hours of The Last Dance. Stunning, isn't it, PK? Breaking news. Uh, yeah, last night here, we're coming on Mondays and do this. It's going to be for the next couple of weeks. It's going to be obvious, at least for you and me, what we watched. I would go back and, and go over the weekend, and uh, I watched a movie that was uh, something that I had seen before, obviously. There's no new movies out right now, but I guess I could have seen something that I hadn't seen. But I watched something that was timely, and it was the singular, it was built around the singular greatest athletic achievement that I have ever seen in my life. Well, you tweeted about Secretariat, so did you see that movie? Yeah, they put it on ESPN on uh, Friday night. With uh, they, they didn't really have any commercials. They just had a couple of people uh, talking about it. I think uh, uh, Kirk Gowdy's son, like they would just do a little commentary when they would have a little commercial break, but it was less than a minute. So, yes. And that the 31 lengths at the Belmont was simply the greatest athletic feat I have ever seen. I've seen it live. I've seen it a million times since. And it was just absolutely awesome. And I did tweet about it because I love getting the ignorant responses of saying it's not a horse is not an athlete. B freaking S. (laughs) You do not know what you're talking about. That horse absolutely knew that it was a show. And that horse was putting on a show. Did he know it was the Belmont? No. Did it know it was a show? And there was boatload of people there however many tens of thousands absolutely 100 percent so that was my friday night viewing my saturday i actually went up to wasatch and played some golf 
And uh, it was just sensational. It was raining when we were driving up, wondering what is going on. Are we going to go? Why are we doing this? You know, because it takes about an hour to get there. And uh, it was a little cloudy when we started. The sun came out. And, you know, because they're, I don't know, it was weather-related or what, and they spaced the times a little bit more, did not have to wait on one friggin' shot. And I had a moment. I felt like Mike Weir, Weirzy. I felt like Tiger. I felt like Phil. 18 on the lake course. It's a par four, and it's uphill, right? And obviously, it's going to be by the pro shop because, you know, when you make your turn, you come into nine, it's usually close by. Not always, but most of the time, it's close by. 18 would be close by the parking lot, what have you, and the pro shop. Well, the green is elevated to where... You can see the pin, but you cannot see the actual hole because it's elevated, right? And then above that is the parking lot. And there was two older couples sitting in carts. And it looked like uh, I went up there later. They had some food and they had some drinks, some adult beverages. And it was just gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. And so you could see the people coming up 18, and then you could see the people teeing off 10, right? So they're, so, so they're, tailgating, my, they're tailgating above 18, essentially. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. And so you got, you got the people coming into the green on 18, and the people teeing off on 10, right? And you got them both right in front of you, one to your left, one to your right, right in front of you. And gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous evening. And then most of our folks have been up there, and they know what I'm talking about. And they're enjoying it, and you know, they're practicing the social distancing, clearly, because the carts are separate by a few feet and I assume they were married together two two couples well uh, I hit a I hit an okay drive not really good uh, but it was in the fairway and then my next shot I literally dribbled probably about 30 yards just a total worm burner so I've got about 120 yards to go I take out a pitching wedge I cannot see the hole but I can see the pin and I played there a million times and I know the green rolls le- uh, right to left so I hit a pitch shot Wow, I hit that really good. And then a few seconds later, these people start clapping. I get an ovation as I'm walking up 18. I felt like I was at Augusta. It was absolutely gorgeous. Beautiful setting. And, a, and the ball rolled to within a foot. I save par. They're clapping. I go over the, to them, and I tell them, hey, you made me feel special. Thank you. And he, they said, we've been here for a few hours. That's the best shot we've seen. So that was awesome on my Saturday. I did not watch television when I came home because it was later, although I did watch, as I normally do, the news on Saturday night, and then I watched Talking Sports and watched your 25-minute interview you did with the new 7'3 kid from Purdue, Harms. It was not a 25-minute interview. It was about, <laughs> it was about 10. It seemed like it. Yeah. <laughs> So the thing I watched this weekend, there's a bunch of stuff, channel surfing, we don't need to recount it all, but I thought there was one thing that for college football fans, even though the game was ancient, it still kind of rings true with what's going on today. I was flipping around and I saw the NBC Sports Network was replaying an old Rose Bowl. It was January 1, 1975. This is 45 years ago. And USC beats Ohio State 18-17. And I got there when I was channel surfing in. It was, it was in the fourth quarter. And the USC went down the field late in the game. And uh, 
got a touchdown and a two-point conversion. They were down 17-10. That put them up 18-17. And Ohio State had very little time left, but got the ball across midfield, had a long field goal for the win, and it was short. And then there was the storming of the field, and it was crazy. Um, It was the third straight year that USC had played Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. USC had won the first one 42-17, and Ohio State won the second one 42-21. So it's like this this rubber game, although obviously you know the players are turning over. And at this point, I think freshmen were just getting to the point where they could play, so some guys had and some guys hadn't played as freshmen. But not only did they meet three years in a row, kind of like Alabama and Clemson, but they had a lock on it for about a decade, really, a little more than. USC, I looked it up, USC went to the Rose Bowl in that era from uh, 1967 to 1980. So this 75 is right in the middle of this run. USC won the conference and went to the Rose Bowl nine times in 13 years. UCLA once, Washington once, Stanford a couple times with Plunkett. But USC just dominated. And over in the Big Ten, Ohio State and Michigan were the only two teams that won for 13 years. This combination of USC, Michigan, and Ohio State, it was just year after year. It felt like it would never end. Now, eventually it did, but a 13-year run. And I think for people who are sick of it always being Alabama and Clemson, well, college football history tells you, you know, there wasn't as much money in the game back then as there is now. Obviously, a lot of things were different. But when you get built-in advantages and you capitalize on them and you got good coaches, there are dynasties in this sport. This has been going on forever. This Alabama and Clemson stuff is nothing new. Now, it isn't going to last forever. It seems like at Alabama and Nick Saban will retire and that will, you know, raise a bunch of questions about what happens to them. But is that... You know, three years off, five years off, seven years off, you know, who knows? But think about it. Michigan, Ohio State won it seven times. Michigan won it six. And in 13 years, nobody else won the Big Ten. They yeah, just that's the Rose away. Bowl, though. That's not the national championship. It's true. I mean, so well, and in those eras, you know, sometimes they were the national yeah. champions. Uh, Ohio State had a couple in there, and USC had a couple as well. Um, yeah, well, that, that's a lot different than playing in the national title game every year. Rather, I mean, it's, the Rose Bowl is still awesome, but if you weren't in the Big Eight or Big Ten and Pack Eight or whatever it was, if I don't even know what it was back then, uh, I don't know that it had much. Uh, how much it resonated with you. So it's a little bit of apples and oranges there. And I don't think you get built-in advantages. I think you earn built-in advantages. And uh, to bring it uh, more a little modern rather than 50 years ago, uh, SC over the weekend picked up its eighth four-star commitment for the class of 2021. Now, if you believe in that stuff, that's something to take note for. For whatever reason, they are killing it out on the recruiting trail. Uh, For 2020, they only had two four-star commits and already and uh, their junior years even though high school as we know it is not the same but the schools are still in session obviously online we haven't even gotten to the summer yet uh, they already have eight four-star commitments for the class of 2021 and that is six more than they got all of last year 2020 and we know they didn't supposedly have a good recruiting season at least from the star ranking 
But uh, once Helton got retained, and he hired a new staff to a large degree, Vic Suoto is on there, and I've been reading plenty of stories, and Suoto, as a 32-year-old young man, is listed as one of, obviously, he played at BYU, coming from the East Coast, even though he's a West Coast guy, grew up down there, uh, Carlsbad area, somewhere in there. I don't remember exactly where, but down in that area. Uh, he has East Coast ties. And they're talking about SC being able to recruit nationally. And Suoto has East Coast ties. Plus, obviously, here in Utah, he has ties. And then, obviously, with the Polynesian community, he has ties. So SC is really, really doing extremely well if you buy into the star ranking on their recruiting so far this year. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Looks like summer-like weather outside. we got a summer-like story coming up next. Stay with us.